0: The passage which we will be meditating upon this evening during Lectio Divina is certainly one of the most famous portions of all of sacred scripture. It is the parable of the prodigal son. And sometimes it is uh, called the parable of the prodigal father because although the son was extravagant in giving away the possessions which he had received in his premature inheritance, We also see the father in his extravagance in giving away the love which he has for his son. This parable is very often linked to the two others that are just before it in uh, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke, where we have the lost sheep and the shepherd goes off to seek out the one that is lost and leaves the 99 behind. This is uh, a way in which we can see the Lord is teaching us that God has such tremendous love for us that he reaches out to us when we're lost. And then the parable of the lost coin where the woman goes throughout the house searching for the coin that has been lost. And in both of these, they have a great celebration when the lost is found. And then of course, the final reality is not a lost sheep or a lost coin, but a lost son who has gone astray, who is headed off and, is in great trouble and his father is desperately worried about him. We can see him there on the road watching for him. And I think of so many parents who have this spirit of the the father of the parable of the prodigal son. So often priests, I know we frequently hear of the sufferings of parents who worry about their children. And I often say to them, well, pray to St. Monica because she had a lost son, Augustine, who through her prayers was brought back home. And I think that's why we should reflect very deeply upon this one of the many reasons, because this parable speaks to us of something that is very deep within the reality of many families. It is the care we have for those who have drifted astray and the image we have of what God expects of us. These three parables altogether, one after another, speak of the need to reach out to those who are lost and of the great mercy of God. They also, of course, speak to us not simply of mercy, but of repentance of the call to repentance, which all of us have. The son after all does turn back, comes home. It is a fulfillment of those initial words, which we find at the very beginning of the gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus, which is the same actually as the beginning of the message of St. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is near at hand. That is good news for us. It leads us to celebration and rejoicing. It is something we need to celebrate, but also to look deep in our own hearts. What does this passage say? As always, whenever we're entering into Lectio Divina, what does this passage say to my head to my heart, to my hands, to know, to love, to serve. As we reflect upon these words of sacred scripture, how do we know more about the Lord God and about ourselves? What self-knowledge and knowledge of the Lord can we gain? How are we drawn to a deeper love? And what are we to do? What practically can we do in our lives so that we might be more faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus? So now we enter into Lectio Divina, asking the Lord to help us to listen to his word with an open heart, to let there be no barriers between us and his holy word so he may enter into our own hearts. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may be attentive, that we may have a listening heart to what you want us to hear tonight. Each one of us in our own lives, so different, our situations, our time of life, so different. Yet each one of us together, we hear these holy words. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. As we come into the presence of the Lord, we ask him to take away from our hearts those stony boulders and rocks that are a barrier to our love of God and love of neighbor, that block up our ability to hear his word. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country and he began to be in want. And so he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine and he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Behold, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you kill for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Here we see it, the greed, the ego, me. Give me the share of property that falls to me. He would eventually have gotten a third of the property. The elder son would have gotten two thirds. But he says to his father, hurry up. I can't wait for you to die, give it to me now. Just imagine the hurt in the father when the son is so crass, he wants the money now. He can't wait. Father, give me the share of property that falls to me and I'm sure he knows exactly how much it is. How crass we can get, just think of the hurt in the heart of the father. Not so much losing the the money, although it would be shameful that he would go and sell off some of the property to strangers. It would go out of the family. That'd be a terrible thing. But the hurt in the father and the thoughtlessness in the younger son. He's thinking about me Give me the share that falls to me. Me, myself and I, the unholy trinity. We get caught up in ourselves so often, so many things. That's where it goes wrong. Not thinking of others, but just looking out for number one. Greed and ego. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share, give me, give me, give me the share of the property that falls to me. Doesn't even say, please, I want it now. Let's just think of the ways in our own life that we can become this way. Not only the greed, but the ego and the thoughtlessness of others. We don't think of them. How often we can be that way, maybe not noticing it and maybe that's a greater problem. Just barreling ahead with our own agenda, not worrying where the chips fall, where they may, including hurting other people, not even saying please. Let's ask God's mercy For when we do that, in whatever ways we have. And he divided his living between them. Now you think the father might say, Son, don't be an idiot. (laughs) Don't do this. But you know, you can't talk to somebody when they're all cut up in ego, it's not much point. So he can be sure the father, like Monica, was praying for his son. But he doesn't, he simply divides the property. Son, this is what you want. You can't wait for me. He doesn't say that you can't wait for me to die. Here, so he just simply doesn't say any of that. He just divides the property between them. Because he realizes, you know, we can't control other people. We can influence them but we can't make them the way they should be. And sometimes our projects, our construction projects to do that, do more harm than good And any way, They're kind of useless. We can control things sometimes and ideas we can manipulate, unfortunately, but people, it's not much sense. He divided his living between them. So not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. Sort of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. He doesn't want to be around where he's known. He's gone off to the distant place where he's free, free of the restrictions of his responsibility as one of the sons in the family, free of the father, free with all the cash he had he was going to get and there he squandered his property in loose living this is stupidity <laughs> but i'm sure the father knew his son and what's he gonna do pray for him just pray for him and we notice a bit later stand at the door looking down the highway watching for the son to come home not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. That part about the far country is something we can get caught up into. We don't want people to know what we're doing. He doesn't want the neighbors to see him in his loose living, squandering his inheritance. That's a good sign there's something wrong. If you know, we're not willing to do something in the light of day where people are watching, you know, we often says so a good thing, what would your mother think of what you're doing right now? That's not a bad uh, rule of thumb. What would your friends think of what you're doing right now? Or do you want to get off to a far country? Do you want to draw a cloak of anonymity? Whenever there's anonymity, there's a problem. I remember once there was a very wise priest who gave a retreat for the priests, and he said something very, very profound. He said, every priest should have a private life, but no priest should have a secret life. And there's a big difference. Every one of us should have a private life, all of us. There are things that are private, but none of us should have a secret life, a double life where we don't want someone to see, something we're doing that we would quite rightly be ashamed of. There's a huge difference between a private life, which is something we all need, a little privacy, and a secret life where we're ashamed of what we don't want to come into the light of the sun. We might think about that. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country And he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. This is stupidity and foolishness. Oh, what fools we mortals be, every one of us. Think of this. stupid things we've all done in our lives, just foolish and selfish and everything else. That's why it's so much better to read about it in books and learn from parables than to have to learn from experience. But I think we all have to learn from experience. And that's why it's a good idea, not if we have such a disaster as this, but that's why an examination of conscience is a good thing every day or these kind of examinations of our life. So we just look at what have I just done? What was I thinking? It's good to think about that regularly, not just when disaster comes. And that way we grow in wisdom. This is the younger son. He hasn't had much life experience. Then again, the older son is worse. The father's had more than both and he is wise and compassionate, but it isn't automatic. Remember, young Solomon asked for a discerning heart, a compassionate heart. But when he got older, he was foolish. So there's no guarantee. Just getting older doesn't give wisdom. But learning humbly, getting rid of that, give me. Getting rid of that, get it burned off sometimes in failure and stupidity. That can help us come to wisdom, and holiness. Maybe, doesn't know, this is just a thought, maybe the father, when he was a young man, had done lots of stupid things. And that's maybe where he he could understand his son. And he may have realized that saying to him, don't do it, is not going to work. We don't know. This is speculation, but maybe we can think about it. So there he is. A Jewish son tending pigs and not even given the food that's fed to the pigs. So he's starving. And then we have it. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. This isn't perfect contrition. He's turning back and he does repent. He will turn and go to his father. He's going now the right direction instead of going the wrong direction. Just like on the road to Emmaus. You know, the disciples, Jesus walks with them but he doesn't encourage them to go the wrong way, which is what they were doing. They were going into the night. He says, you foolish men, (laughs) slow of heart, and he gets them to turn around and go in the right direction. Mercy, mercy, God's mercy is everywhere, but it is intimately linked with repentance. The father's there waiting at the door of the house, looking down the road, but he's looking in vain until the son comes to his senses. And so maybe he's praying that the son will do that. But what actually brings him back is hunger. God uses all kinds of things. If only we will listen to the messages God sends us. And just hope we don't have to get hit in the head with a two by four before we wake up and understand. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now he gets it. It wasn't wisdom in some profanity. It was hunger. His stomach got his brain to snap out of it. But God uses anything. All kinds of things that can be circumstances. We think of Ignatius Loyola. It was getting his leg bashed by a cannonball. That slowed him down and made him think. Who knows what can make it? The thing is, though, to think, react, understand, and repent of our foolishness. Because the other way is what could have happened is the sun could have just gotten bitter. Why am I here, you know, feeding these pigs? Why, Lord, did you do this to me? Why? But no, at least he turns. So let's just look at our own hearts. When we have had whatever it's different for all of us, some disaster come upon us, maybe as a result of our own foolishness. Have we simply turned inward in bitterness or has there been a bit of wisdom that's come along? Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom and not bitterness or cynicism. Whenever we face these disasters that, you know, we all face in different ways. Sometimes you just got to know we're not in control. And then we can be wise. You know that saying what is it Lord give me the courage to change the things I can the what patience to put up with the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference. That's it right here. It's sometimes you have to hit bottom before you finally begin to go up and to know you're not in control, none of us is. Then he's finally in control in a sense. He's got his life back in order. Once he realizes he's not saying, give me, I want it all. I can run my life. We gotta get rid of that foolishness. So he says, father, he does what we all do when we have to go to the boss or something. He's got his speech ready to go. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's pretty serious. Not just before the Father, but he has gone against the law of God by his selfishness. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's right. Injustice, he's messed it up. He has no future if he calls on justice. I'm not worthy. He recognizes the truth. That's the help. When we're all in illusion, you know, that's the killer as he was early on when he thought I'm in control. But I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He just wants to be home and he'll take whatever the father will give. So he's getting wisdom. And he rose and came to his father. That's the key moment. He turned, he repented. We gotta do that, all of us. And sometimes, you know, I guess somebody said, my, well, my first spiritual director said, that you got it from somewhere else, I don't know where. Knowledge makes a bloody entry. Often it does. And so, let's pray we could have wisdom without too much of the experience of the son here. He arose and came to his father. Mercy was waiting for him. But he needed to turn and take the step by God's grace and with the help of hunger, which God used as the line to fish for his soul. It wasn't some mystical vision, it was hunger. But God uses lowly things and maybe that's better rather than being saying, I have some you know, angel appear to me and tell me to repent. It works more physically. So he went to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion. How did he see him? Well, he was looking. The father it was just like mothers and fathers from time immemorial, was waiting for him to come. The light was on. <laughs> They're praying. Imagine all those sleepless nights with the father waiting, worrying about his son but he let the son discover himself, what life was about. So that's a bit of wisdom there too. His father saw him and had compassion on him. He ran, embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get out the whole speech. Before he says, treat me like one of your hired servants, The father says to a servant, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. The robe is a sign of dignity. The ring is a sign of authority. And the shoes are a sign that he is a free member of the family. Slaves did not wear shoes. So those three things, he's brought back to where he was before. You can imagine what he looks like, and there's that famous, famous painting of Rembrandt where he's just sort of being enveloped by the love of the father. And there he is with scraggly rags on and he's just about to receive that love. The father doesn't simply say, I told you so. No. Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and make merry For this, my son was dead, is alive again. He's lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Think of the Psalms. Think of Psalm 32, which is a really tough one, talking about don't be like the mule. Think of it. But it ends, it begins, it ends with rejoicing. We celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation. The Lord is a loving Lord who swamps us with his love. But it's love that is inextricably united with truth. And the truth will set us free. A compassion without truth is just a puddle on the floor. There's blech. I don't know how you spell blech, but if it doesn't have truth, truth is the spine which supports the rest and you got to have them all truth without compassion is a dead skeleton it's got to be together like concave and convex and the son began to understand in the midst of his stupid behavior and because of the hunger initially which god used, he began to understand the truth and that's by god's grace what made him turn And then he experiences the compassion. He comes home, and he knows what is there awaiting him. It's celebration. Make merry. Twice he says that. He was alive. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is more than just one sheep out of a hundred sheep. This is more than a lost coin. This is the son who was dead and is now alive. What rejoicing we have. Let's thank God for his mercy to us and pray that we may, each one of us ourselves, learn the truth that sets us free, that is the pathway home to the Father who's on the road looking for us. And he's there in every confessional waiting for us to come. The light is on, the Heavenly Father God, the Father of mercies, that's how we begin the absolution. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. I'm not going to give you general absolution now. (laughs) Stop at this point, and then the priest absolves in the name of the Blessed Trinity. The love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is the heart of everything. Let's think about it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then our Lord gives us something else to think about. And we look in the mirror, who do we see? The stupid younger son who maybe did though, you know, came to understanding. Do we see the loving father? Are we like that to others? Are we waiting or are we just checking them out to see whether they're sinning or not? Are we waiting there in love? Rushing down, not waiting, not saying I told you so. Is that what we see when we look in the mirror? The father waiting for the son and running and embracing him and kissing him and put on the robes and make Mary rejoice. And it is joy, ultimately, despite the horrible sin. It's joy that's the sign of our faith. Are we like that? Or when we look in the mirror, do we see this cold character, the elder son? Now his elder son was in the field, probably working hard, which is good. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what that meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him safe and sound. It's the joy of the servant. He's home. The young brother is home, your brother. So he should be happy. His brother is safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So he's pouting. He's angry. Why do we get angry? We wonder about that. Anger is... In some ways, the most common sin, well, maybe pride is, but pride and anger go together. This little stewing in these resentments we can have, what good does it do? His anger is not going to help anyone, including himself. And he doesn't go in. He's, we, we sit aside and stir the pot of our own anger. It's a very self-absorbed kind of thing. And the worst thing is we're whipping it around in our heads. It doesn't make it go away. It makes it get more toxic. It's like distilling it. And what good does it do? So he's angry. So he won't come in. I'm not coming in. Again, it's the ego again. Just like the son, the, the younger son. I want it. It's my money. I want it now. I can't wait till you're dying. I want it now. That's the younger son. And the older son is, I'm not coming in. Boy, that father had some <laughs> What a family, you know. It's, uh, but it looks, uh, this look, at the, look through the glass. Look through the window at this selfish younger son and this bitter older son. And then the glass becomes a mirror. We can look at ourselves. So, you know. Remember, when you're pointing the finger at somebody else, you got three of them pointing back at ourselves. So anyway, here he is pouting. But his father comes out and entreats him. This is quite something. The father is not going to stand on ceremony. He runs, can you imagine a distinguished patriarch running down the road to embrace his disheveled younger son and not standing on his dignity, but going out to entreat his older son. But he answered his father, behold, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command And you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. The pronoun gets repeated there quite a bit. He's not much different from his younger brother, me, I, and my. Look what he's looking at. <laughs> the reason he's, you know, we get irritated at other people because we see in them what we really want to do ourselves. and Maybe we're a little ashamed of it. Me, I, and my. You never gave me, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your living with harlots, we never heard of that before. How would he know? Has he been spying on his brother? Or is he thinking what he would have done if he'd been out there spending the inheritance? That's a slam at the younger brother, isn't it? Do you ever notice how we can do that? We add that extra little stab. He didn't need to say that, did he? But he did. How often things escape. Just like we should all read the letter of James again and again. Because the tongue is like a little flame that can set a forest on fire. The tongue is like the rudder of a ship that can drive us either good or into the rocks. Who is this who devoured your living with harlots? You kill for him, the fatted calf. But then the father says, son. He doesn't just say son. The word is technon, which is my child. It's kind of affectionate. Even after having been tongue-lashed by this angry son of his, he doesn't get angry. That's a good bit of wisdom there, isn't it? He doesn't say, you fool. No, he says, my child, my child. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and to be glad. Again, joy. Through this whole story of rejection, sin, anger, the father always is leading to joy. To make merry and be glad. The faith that is sad or mad and not glad is bad. It's an old spiritual director from St. Peter's Seminary who used to say that. I, I only met him at his funeral. I remember my first day in the first week or two of the seminary, this famous priest died, and I was in the choir singing, and that was the famous Monsignor who would had these wisdom. But that's true, the faith, if you get all sometimes you get all steamed up. That's a pretty good sign there's something wrong. If we're, you know, all this kind of stuff. It is joy, you know, like Psalm 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing for joy. Not a joy that is kind of frivolous or superficial, but a deep joy. Paul VI, I think, wrote a beautiful thing on, on Christian joy. When we get kind of harsh or egocentric, It's a good sign should set off an alarm. There's got to be a little hidden. So you should be glad, for this brother was dead and he's alive. This your brother. He's not just my son, he's your brother. (laughs) Think about it. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. So let's join the party. Let's rejoice and forget all this anger. Now we never know. Did the sun go in? Did the sun pout some more? We don't know. (laughs) And maybe that's because the Lord Jesus wants us to think about that. Think about it more in our own lives. Oh, this is so, so beautiful. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son.' But the father said to his servants, "'Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. "'Put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. "'Bring the fatted calf and kill it. "'Let us eat and make merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, behold these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you kill for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come